Hey everyone, welcome back to Ivan's Table Talk, a real and honest conversation from personal trainers about client success and failures. Together, let's laugh more, learn more, and train more. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode. Uh, today is episode 16. We are talking about glutes, aka your butt muscle. And uh, I have a special guest here today. So today, right, before we start, we actually have one activity to do because uh, we have sponsored and it's a new product. And uh, this guest today sitting here is a fitness educator in Malaysia, uh, ACE certified personal trainer, rehab trainer essentials, and a lot more that I can list out if you want me to list it. Welcome Sebastian Tan to our show. Hello, hello. Thank you for having me. <laughs> uh, so, Vestin, yeah, so um, our first activity today is to uh, allow you to drink the limited edition uh, taro milkshake of Wolf's Protein. So, today, I think you are the first guest that who had this uh, taro milkshake previously because taro milkshake haven't uh, launched. Mm-hmm. So, you are the first one to try and after that you taste it, you let everyone know like how do you feel and you can tell whatever reviews that you personally think it is. Okay. Let's cool. go. Oh. Honest feedback. Wow, very nice. Feels like drinking ice cream. Drinking ice cream. Is this... Uh, Good feedback? Yeah, of course. Who doesn't like ice cream? Yeah, who doesn't like ice cream? Yeah. <laughs> so now you can enjoy your protein in a ice cream flavor. Yeah. But sometimes right when people say like it feels like a melted ice cream. Yeah. That feels like a not like a good feedback. <laughs> it's unfortunate that your ice cream melt. Uh, well in this weather anything melts, but as long as the taste doesn't run away then well, I think it's not a bad thing. Mm. Thank you. Nice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, p- but I personally like uh, vanilla actually. So when you have a chance, uh, you can go back and try. You okay. haven't tried their product yet, right? Not yet. Yeah. So uh, go ahead and have a try. Okay. Thank Hopefully you. Fully you enjoy. Mm-hmm. So um, today, since Sebastian Tan is here, uh, some of the audience, uh, they haven't really get to know you yet because some of them are, you know, active powerlifting's athlete. Mm-hmm. Um, they haven't get into like personal trainers field. So okay. can you introduce to them like your background? What did you do? Well, uh, in a very simple way of uh, introducing myself, I'm a personal trainer. I've been training people for uh, close to a decade now, 10 years. And uh, well, I train clients from a different background, from young, old men, women, Uh, injured not injured Mm. so i help them to get fitter uh, in many aspects of in their life Mm -hmm. yeah and i'm curious how did you started to like train um, more glutes training program and yeah well in general people have the impression that uh, i only focus on training glutes Mm -hmm. Uh, in fact is that i train clients from different background mm. uh, and you know that people who has weak glutes uh, they may have tendency of having other uh, body pain for example lower back pain knee pain can be due to weakness in the glutes mm. so uh, training the glutes can be a part of the uh, post rehab uh, exercise program yeah right. 
So it's not that I am only training people's glutes. I'm mm-hmm. helping people to get strong overall. Mm-hmm. I do help a lot of female clients to be able to do chin-ups, help mm. clients to, uh, to get into loving strength training program, whether they are athletes or not athletes. Uh, I want to help them to get better in their daily functioning through strength training program. Mm. Yes. Right. And just now you mentioned like uh, some people when they have weak um, glutes mm-hmm. that indirectly affect their lower back and something like this, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, could you explain a little bit more like what kind of common problems that your clients face? Mm, I mean, in general, not just my clients, but mm. uh, we can see that uh, when the glutes, glutes is, uh, is, is our hip extensor. So glutes is also uh, the most powerful muscle uh, in our body mm-hmm. other than the tongue. Tongue is actually the most powerful. So do you train your tongue? tongue. Yeah. Tongue is most powerful muscles. Yeah. Oh, I don't know. Yeah. Is it? Why? Uh? I don't know. It's just made that <laughs> way. But in terms of skeletal muscle where you can train to move yourself, mm-hmm. uh, well, the glutes is the, the strongest because glutes help with hip extension and a lot of things that we do uh, that require explosiveness from our lower body, the glutes will do the work. Right. So, for example, if let's say I want to do deadlift, I want to do power cleans, snatch, all this movement requires hip extension. Mm. So when the hip extensor, the most powerful hip extensor is not uh, firing up mm-hmm. properly because they are, they are w- weaker, yeah. then we will compensate with something else. So you can see that it's quite common that people who do not uh, drive uh, with their legs during deadlift, Mm. They will feel that they are using the back, lower yeah. back more in doing things. Right. But let's not talk about just uh, lifting weights in the gym. Mm. Uh, it's more like people who are uh, just normal people outside the gym. Mm. They want to carry something, they round their back, then pick up the box mm. without properly engaging using the glutes or the legs properly. Then they will suffer from lower back pain. Mm. And then sometimes can be people who are very quad dominant where the glutes are not uh, yeah. not strong because when they walk up the stairs they are also using a lot of the knee joint to do the movement other than uh, instead they, they should be using the glutes to to, to drive the movement then mm. the, the, the knee extension follows or right. do it together so that you don't only rely on the knees itself mm. how do you start to train clients like um in order for them to be that strong, mm-hmm. to, to, to do whatever, like carry stuff, heavy stuff, uh, perform a good clean and jerk, mm-hmm. perform a better deadlift, mm-hmm. uh, how do you start to program their glutes training? Uh, I don't usually uh, teach clients, uh, I mean, back then, back then, when I started to learn about uh, post rehab training, corrective exercise. We 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 tend to have this assessment on uh, whether a person is weak in this, weak in that. Blah blah blah. We're trying to to find out the weakness. But nowadays, uh, I have my approach change, mm-hmm. where I will look into the general movement. Maybe sometimes, like a client comes in, they may be sedentary clients, mm-hmm. so we have the assumption that the glutes will be weak, all that. But I will 
usually start off with teaching them the right movement first instead of spending the 20 to 30 minutes try to activate glutes and all that mm. i would go straight into learning the movement mm. because sometimes if let's say the client is a sedentary client they have not learned how to do certain exercise correctly mm. when you start teaching them they know how to do it they may work the right muscle mm -hmm. so instead of us spending 20 to 30 minutes to do all the corrective exercise as a warm-up uh, sometimes it's better that we go straight to teaching them the movement mm. so when they know how to do it they will start to you know use the right use the right muscle to yeah. as when they get stronger over time they know mm. what muscle to engage when they do certain exercises makes sense unless someone comes in like with uh with 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 injuries and all that we know that lower back pain can be caused by multiple factors but we can just uh, try and error on certain things then we may have to go with corrective exercises and all mm. that but in general we try to you know uh, go straight Specific. into teaching the movement mm. how to get a person deadlift better mm -hmm. is by doing the deadlift mm. unless the person do not know how to control their body so you know like some people right they they said okay by doing correctly they start off with glute bridge uh, even my approach sometimes i start off with uh, body weight hip thrust mm -hmm. to allow them to prime their glutes yeah, so i don't see it as a problem actually it's no problem right. so it's like a lot of things are like case to case basis mm -hmm. so if let's say you have a client who cannot hip hinge yeah of course you spend hours asking them to do deadlift it will be counterproductive mm -hmm. if a person cannot hip hinge means that the person is just not uh, good in coordinating certain body parts mm. therefore start breaking down make the movement even simpler isolate to different joint action mm. can help them to move better so teaching them how to hip hinge from a glute bridge uh, approach yeah. uh, is actually okay too mm -hmm. yeah I understand. so if let's say when a client comes in they already know how to hip hinge they know how to bend knees mm. they know how to keep the spine neutral when mm. they do deadlift yeah then i don't see that we have to spend too much time on correctives mm. but of course you can still do uh, glute bridge all that as a warm-up but not too much of that if let's say your one hour training you're spending 20 to 30 minutes into that On the then it's part. too much <laughs> of time spending into activation and you have only 30 minutes to really train hard mm. so you're telling me that you want to train hard and grow muscle and grow strength mm. then you may not see result as fast mm. but of course when we talk about this it's a very general perspective yep. because sometimes clients come in in a different level some come in as a very very newbie where they have not exercised in their entire life mm. they may have issue in coordinating body parts like what i said earlier so mm. that we have to break the programming into phases right. so let's say you have an end goal of make able okay let's say you a short-term goal short-term goal is that in three months this person mm. must, must be able to do deadlift properly let's yeah. say so maybe the first one month the person focus on learning how to hip hinge mm -hmm. learning how to use the glutes yeah like whatever you do earlier so the the one hour training maybe 30 minutes is 
warming up mobilization because sometimes you will get clients who are older adults mm. older adults who have pain in their movement and all you just can't force them to doing something you need mm. time mm. so as they progress the next phase of training they may have only they don't have to spend so much time in doing mobilization and all that understand so it, the, 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 the ratio of training changes over time mm. so when they become very uh, skillful in doing a deadlift already yep. after two months of doing all the the corrective Act, stuff yeah, corrective then style. the time of them spending to warm up with mobilizer and all that can lesser. be lesser and right. lesser and lesser so mm-hmm. there's no one size fits all for so it's more like that's why we we, we, we are personal trainer mm-hmm. so not everybody starts the same way mm-hmm. nobody not everybody ends the same way and not everybody uh, doing the same thing for the same reason mm-hmm. some people do glute bridge for some other reason some for other reason mm. you know it's like not not to say that our oh, glute bridge means is for activation no mm. sometimes glute bridge is just a good way of isolating the glutes for hypertrophy understood mm. have you ever had clumpy fake flavor protein shakes guess what this podcast is sponsored by wool fitness if you're an ice cream fan just like me you should check them out at wolf's dash fitness.com because they have the finest vanilla ice cream flavors that taste precisely like ice cream milkshakes again go to wolfs fitnesscom and enter my promo code ivan to save up 35 percent off your precious money right now mm-hmm. makes you, sense yeah you almost answer every question <laughs> so fast, uh. <laughs> no, no, I mean, you almost answer all the questions that people was asking. Okay. But uh, anyway, so I want to ask, like, if let's say, because uh, like you said, everything is case-to-case basis. Correct. And I think uh, what we have explained is basically a general guideline. But when you drill down to a certain uh, cases, and the approach must be a little bit different in order to maximize the potential. So um, I want to ask, so if let's say for cases like, let's say clients who has weaker on one side of mm-hmm. a glutes mm-hmm. and when you are doing a hip extension uh, extension you realize that the hip is actually tilting to a side a dominant mm-hmm. side mm-hmm. Uh, how would you approach to this kind of clients so there are many uh, school of thoughts sometimes people just sometimes some school of thoughts is like people say that uh, you just have to accept that human are asymmetrical so no matter what you do, you will not be exactly symmetrical. Eugene Okay. So uh, <laughs> it's not wrong to, to think yeah, that yeah. way. But uh, sometimes we have to see the consequence of being uh, too much asymmetry. So our training approach, usually our, this is how I look at. Mm. When I started as a trainer, I will always think that good form is very important. Mm. I still think that good technique is very important because for safety purposes you can maintain very good form mm. while training hard maintain good form while training because hard. sometimes people will argue that when it's your really one rep max your form will break down correct mm. if your form still maintain like really really nice maybe you are not pushing close to your max uh, there's some truth in it mm. but if let's say majority of your training Let's say, let's say 90% of your training mm. are not one rep max, right? Maybe one rep max is the 10% of your training. Correct. If 90% of your training is 
you train as if like it's your one rep max the form is breaking down all over mm. imagine what happened when you are doing one rep max yep you get what I mean? so at 90% where we want to train close to failure mm. okay like nowadays there are study sheets a lot of study push that uh, you don't have to train to failure to see results so it's about mm. three to five RIR is the rate right yeah uh, but that takes experience for us to build to grind under good form Mm. But the grinding under good form comes from we putting emphasis of the right technique. Right. So how would you say that if you were to know how to grind properly, how to maintain a good form while training hard, mm-hmm. it's also able to train people who have uh, asymmetrical problems. And yeah. You know. Yes. Mm. So, but we also have to see, like what I say. Let's rewind back, right? I say, right. Mm. Asymmetry is something that we cannot, like, cannot totally fix because we are just not symmetrical. Mm. So your training as approach should be: we are aiming to reduce asymmetry instead of striving for symmetry. Right. Reduction of asymmetry mm. versus striving for perfection. Because I don't think perfection ever happens. It's like life. Yes. So we strive to reduce that asymmetry. Understood. So like what you asked me, right? If let's say someone who has uh, uh, one butt is stronger than the other, hip will tilt and all that. Mm. So it it really depends on the consequence. If let's say you are every day grinding, like let's say when you squat, your hip shift a lot to one side and your knee caving in, it's almost every rep like that. Uh-huh. So maybe you need to do something about it. Right. Understood. But if let's say it's like, okay, out of the 10 reps that you do, one or two reps, it's normal. But every single rep, uh, every single rep, that is something else. Yeah. But of course, there are people argue that bad form doesn't lead to injury, injury. right? So uh, there are a lot of school of thought. You know, like, uh, okay, this is just out of the context. Mm-hmm. Uh, Amanda Lawrence, one of the elite powerlifters okay. in the US. So she literally, do you know Amanda? I don't know. Right. Well, so she, when she trains, usually, most of the time, when she put on social media, most of the squats attempt the least and every single reps somehow have a little bit of knee caves hmm. and it's very obvious. And whenever she attempt in uh, international stage, it's always caving in like like very very obvious what is your point of view on that, that but you, you have to see knee caving in on the way up or on the way down ah uh, okay because it's very common that the <coughs> knee will twitch when it when it yeah. goes up Understood. so when you're at the bottom of the squat mm-hmm. uh, your knee try not to cave in but if you're able to maintain the alignment of the knee until you reach the bottom and when you transition to concentric when you come up right knee caving in is just your adductors are helping you to extend the hip mm. it's not because knees are unstable and so um, really depends on how people see and you can mm. see that a lot of weight lifter yeah. weight lifter do have some knee twitch when they do uh cleans they do snatch mm. at the bottom of the the, the 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 movement right when they come up they mm. will have some knee twitch mm. because when you go l- deep enough in a squat your adductor become uh the adductor will help you to extend the hip 
because at the very bottom of the squat your the glutes are like completely stretched yeah okay you will need that what do you call uh adductor to really help you to extend mm. the hip yep makes sense and mm, interesting but just something out of context like, i just mm. i'm curious like is this also the reason is due to their joint uh, pattern uh, their structure of their hips potentially can be the structure of the hip especially among the female because their hip is a bit wider so the q angle is bigger mm. so the knee may already be caving in without them doing anything because it's mm. just how it is mm. but what we can do is that we can minimize the damage that can be done from uncontrolled uncontrolled knee caving mm -hmm. by strengthening the gluteus medius where you are allow your knees to be more stable when you abduct as you go down in a squat mm. so by when you come up the adductor will help you to to actually extend therefore there is a knee twitch yeah then you come up then you can remain up uh, remain the alignment again then should not be a problem mm. Nice. But sometimes people are just more tolerant to injuries. So sometimes we cannot say that, oh, this person do this, no problem, means no problem for me. Yeah. Because in general, when we, we are trainers, we train clients, we want to be as safe as possible. But when we know when to push, we need to see, read and understand our clients movement pattern. Because some people will have a little bit more rounding of the back when they do deadlift. Mm. but to what extent we allow that to happen yeah understood it's just like when you do deadlift and you can see a lot of powerlifters with uh, lumbar's lumbar's uh, flexion right mm. and if they can maintain the rigidity of the roundness mm. they should not have a problem because it's very stable okay. but if let's say when you lift off you sudden jerk like the <laughs> like dog pooping right <laughs> You know what I mean? Like yeah, a yeah, fishing yeah. rod, like suddenly bent. Yeah. Then that is when usually the, 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 the concern is. Mm. But if let's say a person who can deadlift slight roundness of the, the lumbar, mm. that can maintain that tightness, then great. Shouldn't be a problem. Mm. But in the long run, we have to see that uh, whether the person may have problem with the hip. Yeah, understood. Yeah. And okay, uh, just to rewind back, like we talk about the uh, asymmetric clients, mm, correct? Would you also consider to put in some accessories work for them to do something unilateral to help out, or? Well, depending yeah. on the client's goal. Mm -hmm. So if let's say the client is a bodybuilder, like a bikini competitor, symmetry is very important. Yeah. So when the symmetry is very important, it's aesthetically from an aesthetic point of view you need to be able to help the clients to achieve this somewhat symmetrical outlook mm. therefore you may have to do like extra volume for one side try to minimize uh, the bilateral movement do mm. more unilateral movement for example if a person has very obvious one butt is big one butt cheek is bigger than and the other mm. when they do hip thrust they feel one side more than the other mm. so if you continue to do that that one side will grow more and more mm. so meaning like one side is stronger and then you focus on the stronger part yeah because whenever you go really heavy right yeah. you tend to feel one side more yeah if you go light right oh, both sides can feel uh -huh. when we go really heavy right 
why only one side I feel yeah it's because your body knows that oh this side cannot we do use the most convenient way of lifting the things up Mm. so therefore you might want to well you can still do heavy bilateral movement Mm -hmm. heavy hip thrust heavy squat but you want to have put in a little bit of volume into unilateral work Understood. And I, I know that uh, sometimes uh, if you follow Brett Contreras, Brett Contreras talk about two to one ratio. Mm-hmm. What's that? Two to one ratio is like maybe you do uh, lunges. Okay. Let's say uh, lunges, reverse lunges, mm. uh, non alternating, uh, just reverse lunges. Mm-hmm. You might want to do extra set for the weaker leg. Uh, which is, this is the, the next question actually I'm going to ask. Yeah, so uh, Brett Contreras do recommend that. So for example, two to one. So let's say I got three sets of lunges. Yeah. So maybe uh, my left side is the weak one. I have to do maybe six because it's double my two to one. Oh, wait, wait, wait. So meaning like if let's say, is it by the frequency uh, as in the sets differs or yeah, by repetition? Yeah, by the sets. By the sets. Yes. So meaning like I can do two sets on the weaker side and one set on the stronger side. Yes, you can do that if you are talking about one set na. two oh. ma- must be double it na. two to one ma. okay it's I, sh- double. I should follow the guy later yes when, when was this uh it's not a study right uh because uh okay the reason why sometimes i will follow what uh, brett contreras uh, recommend is because he's not someone who just talks about this theory he oh. has a lot of experiment done on the clients themselves we call it anecdotal means that based case to case basis and his client produce he produced a lot of really great results Mm. so sometimes the case study may be applicable to someone but in general you cannot sway away too much from what the the study says Mm. understood you get what i mean like the saying goes theory can only bring us that far but theory is very important yeah, because is. theory serves as a it guideline is. and then theory is proven or so, sort of being studied mm-hmm. and then hypothesis is like proven in, in many ways mm-hmm. and hypertrophy you still have to do like in certain volume and all that yeah. but of course when your clients have certain issue mm. you may have to try it case to case basis mm. so not, not everyone has to do two to one ratio yeah. Sometimes you just do more unilateral work, more mm. single leg stuff yeah. already can help. But some people after help still cannot, then you might want to approach to the two to one. It's more like a anecdotal kind of approach. Mm. But in general, do more unilateral work that can help your clients to feel once the weaker side more, that encourage that feeling more, that it can actually give you that, that change. Mm. Wow, yeah. that's something different. Yeah, yeah. Do do you do that to your clients? Yeah, some clients I do, but some I don't, because sometimes, uh, like I said, if the symmetry asymmetry causes problem, mm-hmm. I make someone lower back pain one side. Yeah. It's like very obvious. Like every rep of deadlift, one side is like feeling more than the other. Then maybe we have to look into it. If let's say sometimes it's the the, the consequence is not detrimental, mm. we try not to focus on things that can like like people say like don't focus on one forest, mm. uh, one tree, then forget the forest. Yeah, it's just like nowadays that you can see there are a lot of biomechanic expert that they talk about 
have to do this angle, that angle, this and that. But then they forget to load properly because uh, progressive overload is still the king. Yeah. No matter how well true. your technique is, different angle of pull, different angle of hip thrust and all that. But if it doesn't give you a, a progressive overload, right? Your yeah. muscle just can't grow. Yeah. Understood. Because sometimes, like like. Okay, uh, give you an example. Like mm. a lot of females who want to grow their glutes, yeah, they're focusing too much on the feel, the isolation, the pump, and all that. It is important to do crab crab walk. Uh, yeah, <laughs> we we can say that. Uh, okay, let's say in general, like because female can be afraid of lifting heavy weights, but they want the glutes to grow. Yeah, but we know that you. <clears throat> If there's no progressive overload, right, it's really hard. And the mechanics of uh, hypertrophy, right, it's not just the pump. Mm. We need mechanical tension. Mm. We need muscular damage, and then we need the metabolic stress. Metabolic stress, which is the pump. If let's say you your training is all about the pump, doing the banded exercise and all that, <laughs> rather than lifting heavy, mm. then you will feel that why my butt is not growing. Yeah. yeah, that's true. All those angles and people try and all that. But you, if you don't load heavy enough, you just can't grow. Yeah, so true. Mm. Yeah, so must lift heavier weights. So talking <laughs> about this, yeah, must lift heavy. <laughs> <laughs> but the heavy is very relative. Uh, yeah. when we talk about lifting heavy among people, right? People always think that heavy means two hundred deadlift, yeah. two hundred squat. No, it's very relative to your person. Mm. Lifting heavy. The, the the actual term we want to say is that people need to live heavier relative mm. to your your own self Heavy. like two years ago if i can squat like maybe 10 kg yeah now i should be able to maybe squat more than 10 kg because mm. if you are still doing the 10 kg most likely they yep. will not have changed it is what it is yeah so talking about training hard on the glutes mm-hmm. um Training volume. Yeah. For example, if we were to train a general population who does not have any training experience, mm-hmm. um, how many sets roughly that you will predict or, or gift to clients mm-hmm. that you know don't have any knowledge or experience? Uh, I think that depending on the exercise choices as well. Because uh, exercise selection is very important. Mm. Um, you must have a, a, a combination of some compound and some isolation. Mm. Then we will decide how many reps and sets that we will do. Mm. Uh, so in general, if you are talking about muscle growth in, uh, in certain muscle group, we want people to be able to do 10 to 12 sets per week. Mm. That one is like a minimum effective dose. So if you're a beginner, you do 10 to 12 sets per week. Mm-hmm. You should see improvement if progressive overload is being applied. Right. So as you become, when you become not a beginner anymore, mm. you, you advance to intermediate level and all that. When you're more adapted to training, you can recover well with... 10 to uh, 10 to 12 sets then you can go higher mm-hmm. so maximum recoverable volume has uh, as uh, being suggested is usually up to 24 sets per week yep that's like a 
I think that one is almost like training five days per week. Yeah. So we. Mm. Yeah. So roughly about that, but if your your training has a lot of compound lifts, you may not be able to do more sets. But that's why there's a range, minimum ten, mm. maximum twelve. Mm. Uh, minimum 12 maximum 18 I understand alright so, so you must have like a ratio that. like heavy stuff maybe one it's about 10, 30% mm. medium weight medium intensity mm-hmm. uh, can be another 30% mm-hmm. and then really really lightweight 40%, 40%. 40% so right. really really lightweight can be those that you do for your isolation mm. oh that's a, that's very insightful Yeah, mm. but you don't forget that when you talk about glutes, right? There's a lot of overlapping muscles. Mm-hmm. So, exercise selection-wise, uh, you want to do any exercise that involve hip extension, mm. hip flexion, and hip extension. Mm-hmm. So, squat has been found in a very recent study where they 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 show that squat and hip thrust, mm. the muscle growth for the glutes is similar. Oh, what what study was that? I think recently Brett Contreras posted about it. I think they do it with uh, Brett Schoenfeld. I think you can check it out. So they they have uh, I think multiple uh, people has put on an Instagram. We can yeah. read about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have shown two group of people who yeah. do uh, they they do Squats. squat and hip thrust. So end up actually the growth is very similar. Ah, uh, so. But doing both also help with improving the deadlift. I think. Right. So improving in the squat can somehow improve your deadlift. Doing hip thrust will also somehow improve your deadlift. High bar squat, low bar squat. Is there any? Uh, I didn't read in details. Mm-hmm. But in general, uh, squatting high bar or low bar should also engage your glutes. Mm. But one thing that people need to understand is that when you do squat, you are loading your glutes. You are challenging the glutes in a lengthened position. Hmm. Means you have to squat deep. If so you're not squatting the, deep enough, yeah. less stretch. Less hmm. stretch potentially means lesser growth. Hmm. So when you do squat, you must do deep squat. As in like all ATG. Uh, uh, I won't say ATG to a point that your butt touches the floor. <laughs> uh, it's more like uh, below your your knee. Yeah. Understand. So it's uh, below parallel. Below parallel. Yeah. Mm. Then uh, because that is when your glutes is fully stretched, and then with the weights that you put on, the mechanical tension should be high enough. Right. So. But hip thrust on the other way around is, it actually challenge the glute the hardest when mm. it's being shortened, which is when you fully extend. So one is lengthening, one is shortening. Yeah. So it's like a, the peak tension is at a different. Area correct. It's still in the glutes, but the different phase mm. of the movement. One is when you are really shortened. One is like when you are really lengthened. Mm. Understand? Uh, I do have a question. Mm. So I saw most of the clients that you train normally their hip thrust performance. Um, the plates always touches the ground, mm-hmm. and that consider one rep, mm-hmm. right? So for uh, some people, they Sometimes I encounter this kind of question where they said, "Why do you need your clients to go down all the way to the ground? Mm-hmm. Um, can't I just do halfway down before I touches? There's more tension on it, and I can did that for like one rep. So, uh, okay, yeah. So, uh, 
Okay, so lead back to mm. uh, Brett Contreras himself did an experiment on uh, muscle activation. So people always say that when hip thrust does not load the butt in the eccentric phase, mm-hmm. uh, but it's not true. Maybe not as much as squat, but you will still feel the weight. Yeah. If you do it with control, if you ask someone to thrust it up hard and then drop, like no, straight yeah. away drop, then maybe the tension is low. Yeah. So what I want to say is that if you go as low, you go with control. Yeah. You will help with uh, stretching the the glutes because mm. anything that hip flex means being stretched. You hip flex means the glute stretch. Mm. If you hip extend means the glute. Tighten, yeah, shorten, shorten. So, on the, all the way down, it stretches the glute fully. Yeah. So if let's say you can actually put down, touch the the floor, but you don't want to fully dead stop, you will still keep the tension. Right. So it's like oh, I, okay. So it's a full range of motion. Correct. And if you are doing, uh, before you touch the ground, half range of motion. I won't say it's half range. Actually, not touching the ground is also very. Uh, good in terms of uh, constant tension. Con- okay. Because yeah, the constant. tension is always on, yeah. you don't have a rest at all. Correct. But if let's say in is that if that's the case, why squat people go all the way up and still can <laughs> train the glutes? Uh, you get what I mean? Yeah, so why squat when they go all the way up? Yeah. If let's say we are going by the same theory, if hip thrust don't touch the ground, constant squat. tension. Yeah. At the, right. Why squat? We go all the way down and then we come up all the way. Tension also gone, right? But uh, still, <laughs> okay. But the glutes, the growth is still the same. Right, right. Okay. So but of course, to... there's a, uh, a bit more specific implication mm. where, if you really want to focus on the pump, mm. the metabolic stress, don't touch the ground. I see. What is what is the Metabolic situation. Stress, uh, uh, yeah. So, really depending on your your clients. If let's say my goal is okay, so we don't want to judge a program just based on seeing one exercise. Yeah. So let's say, uh, usually I have my clients do squat, deadlift, and hip thrust. Mm. Okay. Uh, my clients don't just don't do, they don't only do hip thrust. They do all, all. even lunges and all. So that's why we have their glutes grow all rounded. Mm. Okay, so I will have heavy squats. Mm. Okay, let's say heavy squats, and then I have medium, medium uh, weight squat. Mm. Okay, and then for hip thrust, I will also have very heavy hip thrust, mm. where they focus on thrusting as heavy as possible, mm. and I don't really care about. I put less emphasis. Not I don't care. I put less emphasis on. Whether it touches the ground or not, I just yeah. want them to extend the hip as hard as they can with heavy weight because yeah. the peak tension is at the top. Correct. That's why we do hip thrust. We want the yeah. peak tension at the top, mm. right? But of course, they also have accessory work where the hip thrust we do non-touching the ground. Mm. So very heavy hip thrust, we will do it. Touching the ground because I want to make sure that they have very heavy, heavy stimulus onto the butt. Correct. Then when we are working on the lighter elements where they can focus more on the pump, so mm. we can cover muscular damage, mechanical tension, yep. and metabolic, metabolic stress. stress. Then, 
But of course, if let's say your client is an athlete where they want to focus on explosiveness, mm. you want to start the hip thrust always from the ground mm. where n- no momentum, fully thrust up yeah. as fast as you can, you create that explosiveness on the hip. So that goes to the specificity and... Yeah, yeah but sadly there are not many studies talk about implementing hip thrust into explosive yeah explosiveness but if let's say uh, if your clients are someone who can't do a cleans mm. someone who cannot do a, 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 a snatch mm. they want to train the hip to be explosive mm. okay then uh, I would use uh, hip thrust from a dead stop position to fully thrust as fast as they can hold at the top mm. they will also should be able to help because mm. sometimes people will argue why not you just teach someone to do cleans but you as you know that uh, learning olympic lifts is a very complex movement sometimes people just don't have the time to learn and all that yeah so for example let's say you have an athlete uh, competing in three months mm. It's a sprinter. Mm. So you're sprinting, the motion uh, involves a lot of hip extension when they sprint, right? Yeah. So they want that explosiveness, right? Well, of course, doing cleans and all that will create that explosiveness. Mm. But what if the person three months is going to compete and he has never done cleans in their life? And then we want to relearn and teach why not we use the most straightforward ways mm. to help them through the three months. Then maybe after that, we yeah. can implement cleans, uh, uh, snatch, and all that after that. So there's always a place of exercise as mm. long as you know the reason why you are doing it. Yeah. Not just simply, oh, the person do, uh, okay, la, I also do. Mm. Yep. Wow. Yeah. So I think we've covered training volume, um, the reason of trainings and glutes itself, mm-hmm. uh, accessories, bilateral, asymmetric. Yeah. Um, one more question, um, Dilut. Okay. Do your clients, I think your clients have been training with you for quite a while. Yeah. Uh, I believe there's some certain Dilut uh, training protocol into it. Yeah. How do you arrange so it? So really depending on what kind of clients I have. Mm. So let's say clients who are very consistent. Yeah. Where they train four times a week, no mm. fail, no cancellation. Mm. We can actually really go with certain form of periodization mm-hmm. then I will talk about deload about this art uh, I will apply deload onto these clients because basically they don't miss a week of training they, they do a lot mm. and then you can see that uh, usually guideline is like four to eight weeks mm-hmm. depending on how intense they train the more mm. intense means the more the heavier they train they need to deload faster mm if they are not training very intense yeah. and they are not suffering from suffering signs of under recovery we will stretch out to eight weeks yep. yeah so those clients we do deload but let's say clients who train one time a week mm. twice a week mm. we haven't even load why deload yeah understand so we don't have to because some clients just don't need periodization mm. because I mean, in general, we have some idea what are we going to achieve. Yeah. 
but sometimes you know like clients of working population they may mm. not be as consistent mm. sometimes they have cancellation sometimes they go off one week because <laughs> of some work trip yeah. or their whole holiday then sometimes has emergency let's say kids got sick one week they they didn't show up they mm. got sick and all that so but in general we need to know what is the client's goal mm. what are the important things that they have to do but keep watch of signs of under recovery and all then we do a deload right wow so let's talk about clients that who really train for years mm-hmm. and they've been consistent mm-hmm. they don't really ffk you mm-hmm. they, they don't really uh, miss your session mm-hmm. um, what kind of approach would you do for the clients and when it comes to deload how do you do the deload Okay, usually let's say four to eight weeks in either four weeks, maybe six weeks yeah. or eight weeks when they yeah. feel that there's a need of doing a deload. Mm. So uh, sometimes I deload based on body parts. Mm. Okay. So let's say upper body is like, okay, not, not really tough. Like you still see progression. You can Go still ahead. see form is great. You don't see unnecessary ache somewhere, the joints doesn't hurt. Yeah. Then they can continue. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's like you train harder for lower body, then you will feel that, oh, my joint is a bit achy already. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Uh, muscle is a bit tense all the time. Yeah. I feel that I can't recover fast enough for the next session. Then yes, we can take a deload where you can either cut the volume. Mm. So volume... Or you can repetition. cut. Yeah, you can cut intensity as well. Right. So let's say I am going to do. Let's say my clients this phase of training we have a lot of three to five reps. Mm. We can go maybe forty percent lesser weight, still do three to five, or I can still maintain the same week instead of three to five reps. I can just do two. Hmm. Understand. Um, so that one is okay. Let's talk about the big case to case, lah. Mm-hmm. Like clients that who focus on higher intensity training, mm-hmm. lesser repetition. Mm-hmm. Normally, you cut off on the intensity, and generally, uh, clients who focus on higher repetition or they are adapting on higher repetition training, mm-hmm. you cut the, the, the reps. repetitions. Yeah, which whichever that is more um, tension, not to say tension, whichever that is more stress. Uh, on on that particular mm. either sets or reps, yeah. Then you cut off on that one, yeah. But you, you you can try on the clients and see what what works better as mm. well, because sometimes, uh, we tend to follow in general what people do. Yeah, like I say, theory can be a very good reference, but sometimes we want to see whether it works for this client or not. Mm. That's why people hire you to personalize certain things, including the load, what approach that we use. Yeah. If they say it doesn't work this phase, well, next phase we, we try, we're going to take note, we learn mm. from uh, our mistakes Data, and all that. Yeah. yeah. Understood. Okay, so uh, there's another question is that uh, I think this one get asked by my girlfriend also. Okay. Um, we, we want to know like, how do you give women confidence when it comes to training heavy? Because like, like you mentioned just now, a lot of women scared of or maybe not so confident in training heavy. Well, yeah. uh, there are many factors why people are afraid of lifting heavy. Uh, I think some men 
also mm. feel the same because usually people will have that mindset of lifting heavy equates to injure themselves. Mm-hmm. So if the fear comes from injury, mm. and you make sure that you want to build your clients' um, confidence by making sure that we we in, increase gradually, mm. try not to make big jump. So for example, like. For beginner, usually, if the movement has no problem, they can straight what deadlift. We don't have to teach them how to hip hinge. They already know. Mm. Maybe first week forty kg, next following week sixty kg. Yeah. Okay. Even though we can jump up sixty, try not to go with that approach. Say okay, forty kg looks really good. Give mm. them more encouragement, and let's mm. try fifty. We mm. always check with them. Sometimes, as coaches, we know when to push. But sometimes we need to know when to step back, mm. especially for beginners. But let's say your clients are really high-performing clients where they like always want to go. Then yeah. we know that when we can push the button. But sometimes your clients are really new. Wow, today only do forty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So fast, want to go, man? Yeah. Say okay, lah. Uh, what do you think you can do? Maybe we do with a five kg increment. Okay, great. Can mm. and do five kg. After that, ask for their feedback. How do you feel? Do you feel that you're in control? Then yeah, all that. What about a little bit more? Mm. Then the person say, okay, I don't mind trying. Then add. If the client say, I think no lah. So sometimes we need to know that okay, we give them some space mm-hmm. because sometimes the person need time. It's not about just the body. It's the yeah. the, the the confidence, the self efficacy. Yeah. From the person, it requires time for us to okay. We give them time to accept that they actually getting strong. Mm. Then we push slowly, an increment of five kg. Okay, no problem. Mm. Because we have we have seen clients that can't even add five. Yeah. The progress is slow. Some can be very fast, but let's go with like a very safe range of approach. Mm. I think uh, some uh, CPT courses they do have a recommendation of maybe usually lower body you can add more weights ten mm-hmm. percent. Yeah, upper body can be. Two to five percent. Mm. So let's say the person can do deadlift forty kg. Mm. So a uh, five to ten percent is how much? Ten percent, maybe four kg. Or four kg. So let's round up to a five kg, and mm. they do. They feel that oh, okay, not bad. Mm. Next week another five percent or ten mm. percent. Yeah. We take time. So as long as when they practice more and more, it require practice lah. So for example, like yourself, mm. you're training very heavy all the time, mm. and three years ago. You are scared of certain weight, mm. but now you are not that afraid of that weight anymore. Why? Because you are doing the thing day in day out. Yeah. And your confidence comes from doing the thing day in day out and do it successfully. If you suddenly jump like a big jump, a fifty kg jump, mm. you fail one time, you still dare to try. You will be afraid a bit. Yeah. Then you will take time to grow the confidence. It depends. Yeah. <laughs> If it's Yujo that is watching, he he won't. <laughs> he will whack. Uh, okay, but really, really depends on yeah. certain people. They have different kind of approach and mindset. Whether how, how confident they are. Yeah. Mm. Oh, that's a lot. <laughs> yeah. That's a lot. Okay, I think. Uh, but that is only about l- about glutes. Li- no, that you uh like for example, that is about mm. lifting heavy. Mm. But sometimes, uh, people n- not be af- they they afraid lifting weights not because they are afraid of lifting heavy because they afraid that they get bulky. <laughs> <laughs> What would you explain? 
uh, I think that comes from the standard of beauty, mm-hmm. which deeply rooted in the community itself. It's something that we can't just change overnight. Yeah. But you can see that nowadays women are more likely to accept that muscle muscular is also feminine. Mm-hmm. But maybe 10 years ago, no, because 10 years ago, the standard of beauty are very different. Mm. As you know, that standard of beauty changes over time, different era, different centuries. We look at things in a very different way. Mm. So what we can do is we continue to raise awareness. Mm. Because sometimes people just being afraid, some people just can't accept. Then some people are not willing to change. Then Mm. we just have to raise awareness by... You know, you see, uh, some people lift weights very heavy. They don't get bulky. Mm. And then what are the benefits of lifting heavy weights? Yeah. So you can see that these days, the trend in social media is like they tell people that must strength train. Strength training is Mm non-negotiable because people are suffering from a lot of uh, daily functioning because they are weak. Especially when they get old, they are not strong, they fall down. They don't have the muscle to protect them. Mm. They have hip injury. They need hip replacement, mm. knee replacement and all that. But this could have been, uh, I mean, not not to say prevented. I cannot prevent anyone from falling. But the risk of dying from falling become lesser if, if you have muscle to protect you. Mm. Yeah, I recently have this new client that uh, yeah. she's uh, an, an elderly and mm. she fell down at home. She wasn't really injured but she has no strength to get herself up okay at all so she has to be lying down on the floor but she can't get herself up because she has no strength how old is she uh mid 70s so from that incident the person realized that okay i need to get stronger yeah but it's never too late for everything Mm. so being strong is never a disadvantage we cannot get too strong one. We are never too strong. <laughs> you, you get what I mean? We can always get stronger and stronger. But we, yeah. as long as we get stronger self, uh, that we can help ourselves to function, mm. then should be great. That's so true. Right. Yeah. That's a lot to cover. Is yeah. it too much? No, it's okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Sebastian, um, before I go to the Q&A session, uh-huh. where some few of them is asking you questions, Okay. Um, what else do you think you want to add on to audience? Uh, it, it can be non-glutes training. I think you have trainers. a question for me the other day. You told me, what are the mistakes or something? Uh, what is a common mistake that you did as a young PT and you hope your younger self can change, can be better? I think uh, mistake is more like uh, something that I could have done better where I should have advertised myself more, mm. but not about me training myself. Mm. More like I have to show what I do with my clients. Because I know that things change better for me ever since like I put up testimonials of my clients, mm. what my clients do. Yeah. Share with people that the experiences that they have, hmm. how much they improve, focus less on me, more client centric when it comes to promoting personal training actually helps me better in recent years. Hmm. Before that, when I first started, 
I, I always feel that no lah, I'm a bit shy to show how well my clients progress. I'm like, how okay, well it, it's, it's fine. Now, you know, I don't want to use this as a marketing tool and all that. So I focus a lot of my own training, put picture of myself, mm. and then I create content about education and all that. Well, it's not not bad, but I think generally uh, clients, general client, general population, they don't really emphasize so much that how smart you are. Of course, you need to be good enough, mm. okay. But they want to know. Okay, let's say I want to train with Ivan. Mm. I want to know how is it like training with Ivan. I don't care whether he handsome or not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't care whether he talk a lot of theories online or not. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. more like okay, so I know you are PT. You should already know have the knowledge, but I want to know training with Ivan. What do I get? What yeah. are the other clients that? The experience, ah. how they change training with Ivan under Ivan's uh, programming. Right. I think clients care about that more because PT service is an intangible product, mm. something that we can't touch. Yeah. So in order to get people, because people want to pay you like hundred fifty ringgit per session, then they would like to know what do they get. Mm. I know Ivan is smart, but. What? How do I know is he is good yeah. in transforming clients? Because we know that there are many different types of coaches online where they they spend too much time on social media that they keep sharing info, which is great for other trainers, mm. but not so much on getting clients. Understood. Because if you are very good in sharing a lot of information, trainers will follow you. Correct. But trainers clients. may not be your clients. Correct. Unless you're an educator, you run courses. Yeah. Then yes, you want to share more info and all that. Wow, that's so true. You, you, you get what I mean? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, so clients true. want to see what can you offer. Mm. How do they know is by looking at what you do with your clients. Wow. So would you say like, how would the promoting be like? Because, you know, promoting, it's actually quite sensitive to a certain extent. Some people think that, you know, by promoting too much of whatever that you are doing, it's actually, they don't look it at the right way. They look it like, a, oh, you are trying to do business, la, you know, you're trying well, to earn money. La. So what is the, you know, proper promoting in your... Uh, I think yeah. people have to understand that PT is a business. Yeah, it is. We, we won't do it for free because this is not charity. Mm. This is the fact because when you're good at something, you don't do it for free. Mm. Right, so yeah. this is a business where people, actually trainers, have to stop thinking like, oh, uh, I scared that clients just afraid that I just want their money. Yeah, we do business, we want money, but mm. with the money that they pay, what do they get? So when you promote, right, you want to promote, like, what do they get in return? What do they I, get I, in return? Okay, of course there are certain ways that it may sound a bit like fishy, where people say, oh, fitness transformation, four weeks, com. Confirm. So in summary, mm. when you talk about uh, trainer can market themselves better by showing uh, what they can offer through their clients' uh, per, uh, training experience. Mm. So instead of uh, focusing too much on uh, posting about their own training and all, but 
what I want to say is that it's fine. It's your social media. You can do what you want because yeah. some sometimes we just we don't get leads from social media because we get leads from something where else. But mm. if you want to utilize social, social media, media as a way to get leads, then you want to focus on showing a little more insight. Give your your potential clients some insights that how is it like training with you? Mm. Uh, would uh, are there more positive side of training with you? That mm. that would be a a, a good good thing to do hmm. yeah yep i guess um let's go into q a yeah okay. where we have a lot um okay before we start q a uh sebastian we actually have the final four okay so it's actually a final four questions that i will ask and you answer by uh, from one word to one sentence uh, okay yeah it's a last final four okay okay let's see yeah <laughs> Okay. What is the best fitness advice that you ever give? Not receive, huh? Give. One word, ah. Uh. Mm. Not one sentence. Ah, uh, one word to one sentence. Okay. Uh, fitness advice, ah. Uh. Mm. Able to train, and exercise is a privilege, because not everybody have that privilege. What is the worst fitness advice that you ever receive? Too many. Uh, I can't. I have to, <laughs> I have to think. Uh, catwalk. Uh, oh, yeah. Walk. People say that cannot stretch your muscle after training because your muscle cannot grow. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what is one fitness law that you would like everyone to follow? Mm. It's a bit tough. Okay. Remember that fitness is very important aspect in your life but do not uh, make your life revolves around fitness because there's so much more in life than just fitness but fitness is a very important aspect mm, wow fitness is very important aspects and our final four the last question um, what is your current fitness goal well I just want to maintain my exercise regime <laughs> make sure that when I get older I yeah. don't have problems. <laughs> yes. I make sure that when I go yeah, travel, hiking and all that to take photos, yeah, it is. Uh, I can endure the entire trip without problems. Mm. That would be great. Wow. All right, let's go to Q&A. Okay. So we have few people. Uh, I think we have quite a lot. I'll just Whoa. ask for like, uh, I'll, I'll pick three of them. Okay. Okay. So um, this guy, uh, it's the Botanicus. Uh, his name is Henry. He was asking, what warm-up exercises would you recommend for squat and deadlift? Well, we usually warm up based on what are the joints or muscle group involved. Mm. And when you do heavy lifting, uh, core activation is very important. You need to know how to brace properly. Yeah. So your warm-up has to have something that uh, get your core uh, engage mm. so you can do the McGill's big tree mm. and then uh, for lower body it's like you can do some mobilizer that opens up the hip mm-hmm. okay stretch a li- uh, open up the hip but you can squat deeper mm-hmm. mobilize the ankle so that your 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 range of motion is better uh, yeah that's what ankles. you can do hips and ankle core and core activation that's what you need to mobilize mm. 
yeah. and also I did ask him like further. Mm-hmm. Uh, he mentioned that when he did sumo deadlift, uh, he's a sumo deadlifter. His adductor tend to feel pain. Okay, so pain. the inner thigh can feel yeah. pain. So <coughs> is it after or during? Oh, I did not. I did not ask, but no. I assume it's during. So during can be because of the stretch on the adductor. So mm-hmm. sometimes when you don't have the mobility to open the hip very wide during the sumo, then go conventional. <laughs> no, 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 not necessary. <laughs> uh, maybe have to 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 do some uh, mobilizer to open up the hip, yeah. So that you will have lesser strain on the. Uh, it's a ad- adductor, right? In Addu- the thigh, yeah, right? in the thigh. Yeah. So, uh, uh, mobilize by hip, doing hip openers mm-hmm. and then you can do some sideline hip raise for the glutes because the abductor will open up the hip mm. and it allows you to have that better mobility where you can go into a sumo position with mm. the knees open up then you can drive better from the feet mm. Mm. right there you go Depth but this is just a general uh, because yeah. I don't know what is your condition so this is what I can say mm. for more information uh, slide into his DM. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, so a sec- second question asked by my girlfriend: uh, How to give women clients confidence during training? Uh, be give them assurance. So basically, like uh, I think just now I mentioned. Yeah, so you can uh, increase weight gradually. So after every sets, you can give them. Uh, words of encouragement mm. and you can even ask them permission to record some videos that show you show them that oh you know you are doing this very well mm. you know keep it up yeah give them some visual kind of encouragement verbal kind of encouragement encouragement, uh, encouragement as well mm. so just basically be there and give them assurance that they can actually do it mm. yeah um okay I'll, I'll pick, uh, it's Sinyi next question I had a prospect who want to grow their glutes, but not their thighs. How would you explain to them? Okay, so I know that this is a actually is very common thing that yeah. people want to have big glutes and then have slim thighs. <laughs> well, you can choose the exercise. I mean, it's not easy to do that because mm. most of the time, the exercise that we train glutes will involve the thigh as well. Okay, but you do see that some bikini competitor that they don't grow quads like really crazy huge mm. along with the glutes. So they grow the glutes quite quite in a good proportion where without the, 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 the quads grow out of proportion, right? Yeah. So perhaps you want to focus the exercise selection can be more biased to only glutes. Mm. So like you can even okay now I bring back that example right the squat and the glutes give you uh squat and the hip thrust give you similar amount of hypertrophy squat and okay but yeah. squat involves a lot more quads mm. so you might want to minimize the volume on that mm-hmm. focus more volume of the hip thrust but in reality your thighs will somehow still grow yeah. while your glutes grow bigger. So, yeah, would you explain like this to the clients? Yeah, I will explain to them because sometimes they may get ideas like, well, why this girl on social media like that? Mm. But a lot of content on social media is being curated and people use filter to make their thigh look slimmer yeah. while the glutes are 
going out of proportion. Extra pillows. Yeah, and then you, you've seen that videos before where people put some something in the pants that make the glutes look bigger. But of course, I do have clients that grow the glutes quite big compared to the quads. It's also because of the genetics. Mm. Because yeah. sometimes people have the genetic to, to grow the butt bigger because mm. of the, the, the structure of the glutes. Your, your butt muscle insertion is like shorter. It will always look like thicker. Mm. If your butt is like those are very long insertion into the, the thigh, right? You may look like it's a bit flatter. Yeah. Yeah. So it's all, it all comes down to genetic that will actually determine the, the, the shape of your glutes. Mm. So sometimes what you see on Instagram doesn't mean you will get it because this is not something that you order. I want this. I get that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but no matter what, you have to do the work, focus on a lot of uh, uh, exercise that can make you train the glutes and with progressive overload. Mm, that's the truth. Yeah, always explain the truth. Yeah. Uh, okay, I'll pick more. I think this is a quite interesting question also. Okay. Carole Wansha, how do how do you strengthen both uh, glutes? can reduce the pain of hip arthritis. I think he's trying to say, how do you use glutes training to help uh, with hip arthritis for elderly clients? This is uh, something that may not be, I'm not, may not be the best person to answer because I rarely deal with any clients who has uh, arthritis. Mm. But from what I understand, uh, people with arthritis, you might want to do more of isometric work. Mm. So you can work with control, learn, teach them how to contract the muscle with isometric uh, exercises, like maybe a pause glute bridge, mm. pause hip thrust, pause squat. Mm. Yeah, that may help them. But I'm not the best person to ask about yeah. arthritis because this is a, a different kind of m- medical condition that some sports doctor will be better mm. to give advice. Yeah, that's so true. Yeah, don't yeah. don't ask me, Karu. Don't ask me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, next one is Habilicious Way. Uh, she is my client. Uh, she asks, "What is the best exercise to get?" rounder and faster and how frequent do you train i think the episode has already covered the, the you know the the association so client yeah. okay ask ivan because <laughs> <laughs> ivan already learned just now <laughs> okay yeah. yeah but but she is in a very good progression so far okay yeah, you are in so good hands uh, uh last question uh david yap are there movement that solely train your glutes or butt uh, yeah, I think the episode has covered. Mm, yeah, there are some exercise, mm-hmm. but I won't say that solely train your glutes because there are many extensor uh, being attached. Mm. Like hamstring is your hip extensor. Mm. Glutes is your hips extensor. Mm. Adductor can also be hip extensor. extensor. So you won't like di- only focus on glutes. that glutes, but mm. you can do movement that anything that w- involves hip extension it should train your glutes. Mm. He's also my client. Okay, ask him. <laughs> Why they never asked you before the episode? No, no, I mean, they, they, they want to know more, ma. That's okay, why okay, we okay. come up with podcasts, ma. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> can, can, can. Yep, I think 
Uh, that's it. I just want to add on, like, uh, last but not least, uh, I'm very grateful for Sebastian to come into our podcast show. Um, it's been a far journey that I've been through. And you know what? I just want to tell you one story where when I started, before I become a full-time personal trainer, um, Sebastian is the one that usually I ask for advice. And I'm very thankful that even until today, it's been, I think, since 2018. So I want to ask you, what uh, is the best advice I give you? <laughs> <laughs> uh, not advice, but the answer that he always answering uh, is giving me space to have critical thinking. Yeah, I think that's the best uh, thing that I've ever got from Sebastian. So, yep, uh, if you haven't know who is Sebastian, do look up in his social media. Link is attached down below. Um, and if you want to learn more from Sebastian, he has sometimes uh, workshops uh, launching to help personal trainers. Not anytime soon yet. Not anytime soon yet, okay. but maybe. Who knows? Maybe, yes. Yeah. And yeah, I generally so thankful about this episode. It's been a great, great, great episode so far. Okay, thank you. Any last word, Sebastian? No, this is my last word. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. Okay. Uh, if you do like this episode, uh, feel free to share with your friends, your family, your clients. And if you do feel like you learned, learned something, uh, try to tag us in social media and let us know what you have learned and perhaps let us know what do you want to learn more in the future. And hopefully, if you like Sebastian, he can come on to another new episode. Okay. Thank you so much, guys. I hope you enjoyed the last few episodes as well. I'll see you and we catch up on the next episode. Bye. The face in focus or not? <laughs> <laughs> your face ask, the last last part only asked, hey, the face got focus or not? <laughs>